Angen Haseo, welcome to Afternoon of Delight, where Leah, Megan, and Amy, three American romance novelists discussing all things K-romance from a writer's lens. We fangirl over our favorite actors and actresses, talk up our trope addictions, and nerd out on K-drama deep dives. We'll throw in a few K-pop and K-skincare recs for good measure, because why not ride the Hallyu wave all the way to shore? So grab some tech bokey and listen to your new favorite unis. Hey, everybody. Hi there. Hello. So... We have some exciting news to share with everyone. Afternoon of Delight is now on Redbubble. That's right. We are on redbubble.com. And you can pop over there and look us up at Afternoon Pod. So go to Redbubble, search up Afternoon Pod to get to our store. And you can get things like my other pillow is Kim Soo Hyun's lips. Or my ideal type is Boomer Alien, which should be a lot funny after our show today. And we have a lot of other merch that celebrates our love of K-drama. And we are just here to enable you to represent your fangirl life. And just, you know, this isn't necessarily something that we did to make a lot of money or anything because you don't on Redbubble. It's honestly, we wanted (laughs) some of these sayings. It was like, honestly, things that we love. And we wanted merch. So that's kind of why we made it. And we thought, well, we'll share with the audience too. So I have a feeling that we're the ones who are going to be purchasing (laughs) the most. But anyway, I just wanted to put that out there. I'll put the address in the show notes and we'll put it on all our social media so you can get the linky and see if anything interests you. There's like mugs, pillows, tablet skins, just all kinds of stuff. Hoodies. Hoodies. Don't forget hoodies. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to be the biggest customer because I'm going to buy hoodies. My daughter's like, can I get a hoodie? I'm like, you're going to wear my logo? Yeah. Right. I'll buy you it. Can, so, yeah. Our logo, you can get a mug that says, Who Raised Gia? Which, if you listen to our Tale of the Nine Tailed podcast, you'll understand. So, yeah. So, A, we think we're funny. B, Megan doesn't mm-hmm. think that we're doing this to get rich. And C, I'm doing this so that I can take Scrooge McDuck money baths in gold. So, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I have a funny story. So we are just kind of starting with this. We were trying to find like funny things that made us laugh to put in there. And so first of all, like a little plague has come to our house, you know, school's back. Come Monday morning, my youngest woke up and just had like, basically like Niagara Falls of snot coming out of her nose. So obviously no school for her. We got to get a COVID test. I didn't really think it was COVID, but it doesn't matter. Like, you know, got to do the right thing. And so she does not have COVID. Hooray. However, she decided to share her germs with my husband and I. So we both are kind of just like not feeling tops. Like there's a lot of like migraines and like snotty noses in our house. And like, you know, how any man is when they get sick. It's like the struggle is very real. So today I was trying to like hang out with my husband on the couch and I was telling him about Redbubble and I was like, hey. Like, you should look at some of the stuff. We think we're pretty funny and you should see it. And so, my husband's grumpy on a good day, and this was not a good day. And so, before he even looked at it, he turned to me with this like expression that made me want to punch him in the nose and was like, Are these products sustainably and ethically sourced? And I was just like, And then I was like, Yes, they are. And he's like, Prove it. And I was like, Go to bed. And so, He went to bed and then I sat down and was like, then he like got me. And then I was like, oh shit. He's like activated like my coastal elite bubble. Now I'm like, oh fuck, are we like going to be swilling like sweatshop goods? So then I did like a deep dive into Redbubble and I am happy to report that Redbubble gets excellent marks. They've signed it all, all these like codes for like best practice standards and their stuff is ethically and sustainably sourced. So because I am very, very petty, 
I then just like gathered all the business insider like news articles and like ethical codes red bubbles signed onto and just fucking blew up my husband's phone. Like, check this out, mofo. And then he came out like an hour after that. This is our <laughs> and was like, okay. So I'm just not feeling that good. I get it. I could have been nicer. <laughs> and so I just wanted to also give a thing that if you are like my husband, you know what? You could say it a little nicer, but I get where you're coming from. And these are okay products to purchase that have not been made by 18 months old children like in some horrible dungeon. And now Nick has to wear all of our products just right. to make Oh, yeah. Hard. And let me, I mean, I would have had to probably like pull the plug if all of a sudden it had gone bad. But when I found out it was going right, oh, the sweet, sweet chef's kiss of like my happiness of like, oh, I'm going to own you on this so hard in like two seconds. <laughs> okay. You need to buy him a shirt that says God bod. <laughs> that's one of our merch Duh. tags because when we were talking about villains and Amugi and Leah mentioned that Amugi wants Lee Yun's god bod which is just so funny and so it's one of our merch items so I definitely think Nick should wear <laughs> I might god make bod. one now that says my god bod is ethically sourced <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> please do and I'm not please. mocking like honestly come on like I live in like California like half a mile from the ocean obviously this is important to me I'm not mocking it because I I don't believe in it. It was just such a moment, such a moment. <laughs> sweet taste of victory. And, it, it, and it, the sweet taste it's of wonderful. victory. It's wonderful. Because it's like, they always love to be party poopers, you know? Like, it's just, yeah, my husband's the same way. But, oh boy, did I keep that you party going. <laughs> okay. I actually should have researched that about Redbubble. I just had used Redbubble in the past, so I like them. So now I'm glad as well that I didn't lead us astray into like a terrible company. You definitely did not. So thank you. Before there was Chloe, there was another must-see gateway K-drama. One that was so popular way back in 2014 that it got an extra episode added. It had a 20-episode order and ended up with 21. In fact, the lead writer, Park Ji-yoon, is the same as Crash Landing on You too, And she also wrote Legend of the Blue Sea. To quote, when Harry met Sally, I'll have what she's having. Like, dang, save some romance muses for the rest of us. <laughs> Just kidding. Please, 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 please write more. We here at Afternoon of Delight will send you food trucks and daily affirmations. And maybe some red ginseng. Oh, yeah. Okay, so this plot doesn't have North Korean soldiers or geopolitical separation. But boy, do we have separation crossing time and space, literally. And this might be the first sci-fi romance we've reviewed on the pod, right? I think so. Yeah. We have a pillow lip professor alien with Justin Bieber hair who came in a literal flying saucer some 400 <laughs> years ago and became stranded. There's a comet coming, which means that for some unexplained reason, he'll be able to return to his home planet in three months. But when he meets a famous K-drama actress who misspells words on Twitter, all the centuries he spent distancing himself from humans comes to an end. Spoiler, she is also the reincarnation of the young girl he cared about during the Josian dynasty because, of course she is! This is a K-drama, people! Toss in a murdering CEO who twists his ring whenever he gets the itch to off someone, which is all the time. A backstabbing best friend, a sweet second male lead who doesn't know when to quit, and a whole lot of chicken, beer, and first snow. And what do we have? My love from the star, my love from another star you who came from the stars honestly we have no idea what the title actually is and so for this podcast we'll just refer to it as my love from another star mostly please note this episode contains spoilers so you've been warned 
My Love from Another Star was one of the most popular K-dramas in China ever and inspired the Philippines and Thailand to produce local language remakes. In addition to its massive success and popularity, the K-drama also became a major driver in the Hallyu trend and gave the writer Park Ji-yoon street cred as one of South Korea's premier drama writers, but also delivered her first international major hit. So I know there are some thoughts on this drama's title. How does this title work or more to the point, Megan, not work for you? Right. So I'm not even a space nerd. Like I have zero dreams of working for NASA or traveling to the moon. Like that was never my thing. I mean, I think like the sky's pretty and everything, but like that's not, <laughs> that's not really me, which is why this bothers me on a basic level, because it's common knowledge that no one lives on a star. Like I'm saying that in all caps with italics. He's from another planet, not a massive sphere of fire. And I realize this could be like a translation issue, maybe, but there is dialogue that even refers to the Earth as a star. And like, no one's living on stars. Like, no, like, no one's living on stars. So he keeps saying he's from a star and he like points in the sky. And I'm like, you're not from a star. You're from a planet. <laughs> it drives me. Maybe you're the boomer here. I know, <laughs> right? Is. Get off it's, my lawn, Megan. I can't help it. It drove me batshit the whole drama. And I know it's so stupid. It's so stupid. Like, it didn't ruin the drama for me or anything. But it was like this one thing that every time I literally just spit on my keyboard. Anyway, it was just this one thing that kept being repeated and it drove me nuts. And I was not bothered by the title at all. Like, I never thought twice about it until Megan flipped a table at this planet being called a star. And then I thought, sometimes we see a really bright star in the sky and it's Venus, our next door neighbor planet. So like from far away, planets might look like stars and we just don't know their planets. And maybe I'm not making sense, but whatever. He came from space. And if Kim Soo Hyun wants to call his planet a star, I believe anything that comes out of his beautiful pillow lips. <laughs> and I'm going to say the title did not get me worked up. I think what gets me more worked up is I really would like there to be an accepted title for the drama in English. But, you know, I don't speak Korean. So who am I to wag the finger and demand like some, you know, unified translation here? So that's that, it for me. I keep trying to like, you know, I kept trying to like find it on my drama list forever. Like what? And then it was like, oh. that was my only issue yeah. with it is I couldn't <laughs> find it on my drama list. I'm like, I know I kept finding like the other translations of it, like the other countries versions of it. I'm like, I know Kim Soo Hyun and Jung Ji Hyun is in this. Like, where is the one that I want to yeah. watch that I want right. to talk about? I was trying to find it on Vicky and it kept it pulled up the one from Thailand, I think. And I was like, that's not Kim Soo Hyun. Okay, that's why it came to this drama. Where is he? <laughs> but I will say, Megan, that like around, you know, the solstice, there was like the whole grand conjunction thing where it was Jupiter and Saturn, you know, as close as they were going to have been in like, I don't know, 800 years or something. And when my kids are like, look at the stars so close together, I wasn't like, it's a planet. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> no one can live on a star. <laughs> But you can't live on Jupiter. No, okay. Meg no, Megan is fundamentally right. I'm just making fun of her. No, it's okay. You can make fun of me because it's it's really a stupid thing to get worked up about. But that's just the, my middle name. I like to get worked up about <laughs> stupid things. So besides astronomical, you know, quibbling, <laughs> did this drama meet your expectations? And how would you summarize it in five words or less? So my five words are less. Slow beginning sticks the landing. I'll probably talk about this more later but by the end i could completely see why this drama was so beloved and popular the ending was very sweet and romantic and overall pretty satisfying but the beginning was slow for me and there were a lot of 
repetitious scenes that really was started to like get on my nerves like I just felt like there were a lot of episodes that didn't really drive a whole lot forward and that drove me a little crazy so it did take me a little bit to get invested but in the end I would say that it did meet my expectations for a popular well-loved drama so I totally missed the five words or less part so I just did mine so I watched you doing your homework late (laughs) yeah yep doing my homework right when it's due So Meg and I 100% agree. It took a while to get moving, but once it did, I was fully invested and I had like all the romantic feels. While I was happier when it picked up steam, I was still okay with the slow build because I was so into Songi's story on its own that that kind of kept it going for me. Plus there was some murdering going on on the sidelines to keep me busy. In five words or less, I think I'd say this was some sweet pillow-lipped goodness. Oh, you did it in four. So honestly, I was expecting a bit more. This was my pick for a deep dive. And look, I quite liked it. Don't get me wrong. But I came in to see this hyped. And I think I had a bit of a letdown as a result because, you know, that's never fun when you come in just like, oh, yeah, then it's like good. But you're like, it wasn't as good as I was hoping. So I keep trying to put my finger on what kept me from going all in. And I think it was a mix of the uneven pacing, the one note villain who we're going to get into later, and another quibble that I know we all share, which is the lack of alien world building, which we're going to also discuss. But I did really, truly enjoy Kim Soo-yeon's portrayal as an alien who is literally just so done with Earth. And my five-word summary would be, even grumpy aliens need love. Before we get into it, a few friendly reminders. Make sure to subscribe wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. And while you're at it, leave us a review and tell us something you liked about the show. We aren't here to just talk to ourselves, so we want to make sure we're giving you the content that you enjoy. Also, follow us on Instagram at Afternoon Delight Podcast for all the show ratings that don't make it onto the pod, book recs, behind-the-scenes fun, and generally shameless fangirling. And if you want to message us about anything you heard on the show, email us at AfternoonAdelightPodcast at gmail.com. Okay, so how perfect is Kim Soo Hyun's grumpy, stuffy, old man alien performance? Megan, I think you summed it up perfectly in our chat leading up to this by nicknaming him Boomer Alien. Because, look, this is like a fabulous dissonance of a crotchety old man alien rocking the hot young face and sexy suits, grumping in his old man way at everything and everyone on his metaphorical lawn. So, like I said before, Dome and June is fucking over Earth. What are some <laughs> things that drew you in or turned you off about this character? So, look, Dome and June is a boomer alien who wants to read his newspaper, not digital, mind you, paper, drive the speed limit, and bitch about millennials. So... I loved his ancient insults and his slight dad humor in the rare moments that he cracked a smile. I fully completely believe that he was a 400-year-old alien in that hot body. Like, he made me believe that fully. And I think Kim Soo-hun did as much as he could with the role he was given. So where I think we were let down was the script, which I kind of mentioned in the beginning. There were just so, so many scenes where Song Yi talked at him while he remained silent. I even like made a note. There was one scene where he was driving. So it was like a full scene. Okay. So she gets in the car. It's a full scene where she talks at him for, it was probably a five minute scene and he doesn't say one single word. And then they cut to another scene. And I'm like, really? Like you didn't give him even one word. So he, he had zero dialogue and only, you know, purse those perfect pillow lips, which yes, we will say that. Take a shot of soju every time we say pillow lips. Anyway, he only pursed those perfect pillow lips and annoyance while Song Yi asked him questions. And it just kind of like drove me crazy. I needed the script to give him more to work with. Like I'm fine with a quiet character, 
but I felt like it didn't fit. Like I really felt like he would be saying something. And so I couldn't understand why they just let him be silent for entire scenes. So Bloomer Alien is the best description of Doman June's character. So thank you for that, Megan, because I love it so much. What drew me to his character? I mean, it's Kim Soo Hyun. As much as I agree with Megan that I wish the script gave him more to work with in the earlier episodes, when he was given a meaty moment, damn, can that man emote. I seriously have like a physical, visceral reaction to his emotions, especially when he cries. I start crying before I even realize it. Like, I didn't think I was going to cry in this drama, and I cried multiple times, and it was because Doman June cried. I just so, want to. I just want to say yes because I was the exact same way. That man cries and I cry. I can't. It's like I don't know what it is. It's like a signal in my brain. It is, and I think it might be like maybe a residual effect from it's okay because that was such an emotional role, and that was the first role that I saw him in, except for his cameo in Chloe when I didn't even know him back then, and I feel terrible that I didn't. But like, I feel like I still see him as his, you know, it's okay character as well, and I know how emotional that role is. So maybe it's you know kind of like a Pavlovian thing. But anyway, he's just such a good emoter, and it hits me every time. But as for the quiet moments when he's just being his boomer self. And if, you know, I have to watch Domin June read The Miraculous Journey of Edward Tulane and compare himself to The Lost Rabbit while I'm waiting for the romance to build, then so be it, because I just, I enjoy seeing him on screen. And also, nerdy librarian nod to myself, and we will talk a little bit more about the book later, but I recognize Kate DiCamillo's book the second it was on the screen, just from the cover, because nerdy me. <laughs> so to me, Boomer isn't really an age. It's more of a mindset. Like, I think I go along with the idea that like baby Boomer, that term that represents the generation that's born, you know, whatever, post World War II to like 1960. But to me, like how we colloquially use Boomer now, to me, that's just someone who's mentally old, resistant to change and out of touch aka literally Domin June, who's dropping his Joseon era quips like it's hot. I will say something that drew me in was every time he was the hot professor, because hot professors are just cracked to me. And I could watch him just up there lecturing. I could have watched an entire drama that was just him lecturing, like up in front of the class, because that just totally always does it for me. But I think also it's important to remember that like he wasn't always a boomer. And in some ways, like Earth made him a grumpy boomer. Because like, remember when it's like the beginning of the first episode, when we see like the flying saucer, literally a flying saucer come. <laughs> the never over it. Never over it. The aliens jump out and they're kind of like in the forest, just like floating around and like flipping in the air. We never really get much contact so they just like to do it and they're collecting all these samples and he like moves away from the group so even in the first episode i felt like it kind of signified that he was a little different he wasn't just there to like collect and explore but he was looking to connect you know he went to see the people in the village he even tried playing some games you know he ended up like rescuing the earlier version of the heroine and that's why he got stranded but then i feel like you know as time goes by he keeps trying to help humans again and again and again and you know pretty much all the humans he interacts with just end up being these big jerks so i also get why he's over it like his gripes check out and lastly i'm just gonna say if there is an alien invasion and they look like him take me to your leader i'm not gonna <laughs> need to phone home you know i think what really happened is he forgot that he could like float and flip all over the place and he just stopped doing that and i think he would have found much more joy in his life because he never did it again because it's probably really expensive to float and flip everywhere <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't in the budget <laughs> 
you know, what are thoughts on the world building as related to Domin June being from another star or another planet? <laughs> what burning alien questions do you feel like you needed answered, but sadly remained a black plot hole? Do you like my space puns? <laughs> I love them. So, I mean, I've said on this pod before, I write alien romance under the name Ella Maven. So this is like my jam. And so it's, it was kind of like, where do I start? Like, what is his home planet like? How was he born? I read an alien romance series. It's actually called the Caveman Alien Series by Callista Sky, which is really good. She had a planet of male aliens and they were birthed in plant-like pods. So there's no female of their species. So like the plant essentially was the female of the alien species. And that was how they procreated. So like, you know, Dome and June. Wait, 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 just hit pause. So like, do they do it with the plant? No, I don't see. I need to read it again. It's been a while since I read it. (laughs) Like, how are the plants pollinated? Are they jizzing on the plants? (laughs) (laughs) Crap. I honestly don't remember next episode come with answers i will i will it's been a while (laughs) since i read i swear it's a really it's a really fun series like i swear there's like dinosaurs on this planet and some of the cavemen aliens like ride the dinosaurs it's it's just i just want to know if they're in the best way beating it off on the on the plants on the plants (laughs) okay i will come next pod and let you know because i can't remember but anyway so dome and june had mentioned like i don't really have a family that's not the way it works but that's like all he said so of course immediately i was like do they have like birthing plant pods like you know what i mean like how or is this like the matrix where there's like you know what i mean the like rows and rows of like the babies and the jelly people (laughs) like how are you born like why are we not like just explain it you know what i mean i just needed details there were so many alien planet questions what is their tech like are there like more and of course being me i'm like is he alien like down there what's going on can he procreate with humans or are those bodily fluids off limits too like i had a million technical questions about the whole alien thing that were just completely not answered so all the things that you just asked megan all those questions like Songyi is all in and waiting for him whenever he blips into and out of a wormhole like can you do more than kiss she's giving her short human life to you can you do more and speaking of lifespan, how long will Dome and June live in Earth years? Is he immortal? Does he just stay pretty and pillow-lipped while Songy withers? Can she go with him back to his planet? Can she float there and do slow somersaults in the air? How does their <laughs> HEA work? Like, it's a sweet ending, and I loved it. But really, in the long run, like, they're just, like, laying in bed, then all of a sudden, bloop, he's gone. He comes back sometimes, like, 10 minutes later, sometimes two years later. Like, what the hell? Yeah. So... You know, I want answers for her because she's going to grow old and eventually die. How long is he going to last? <laughs> does he, and will he always does look he like that? back and he's like, oh, she's dead now. <laughs> <laughs> or, he blips, or he blips back and she's like old and haggard. So for me, it was like, what world building? Like, okay. So as they're laying together, you know, over the years, is she ever going to just look over and be like, hey, what's the name of your freaking star planet? And like, what language do you speak there? And are there other aliens from other missions around Earth? You know, are there other worlds? 
And then just like practically speaking, like, are you equally allergic to vaginal secretions like you are (laughs) to human saliva? But do condoms fix that? And then you just kind of like get it on like pretty woman where there's just no kissing. But like, I don't know. And like, can he ever like figure out a way to kiss and not want to die of like allergic (laughs) sickness? And like, does he get an EpiPen anecdote for that? And like, what was his role on the mission? And does he not do any more research on Earth? He just now like sits around and reads the paper. And why is the return trip connected to the comet and also why could he not just wormhole home when he was left behind like why couldn't he wormhole back to wherever I don't know. So, okay. So how am I defining world building? Cause it is kind of like a writer speak term. I'm just going to rip it off Wikipedia cause I'm lazy, but world building is essentially the process of like constructing your imaginary world or sometimes even like larger, like a whole fictional universe. So it's just like, you know, all writers do world building to some point, but I think when you're doing science fiction or fantasy, it's, you know, the expectation is to be a lot richer with like your imaginary setting and providing us with like co- coherent qualities such as like what are these beings society like what's the geography like on their home planet what's the ecology like (laughs) and so you know of course we can have world building in a contemporary romance too and I think for me this is like my wig of the finger is that I argue that the writer and her team did a great job of world building and crash landing on you so again maybe she learned and grew because Amy I think you said you watched Legend of the Blue Sea and that there was basically no mermaid world building in that one right Yeah, you see her under the water a couple times. (laughs) With a tail? (laughs) Yeah, you see her as a mermaid like a few times, but you don't know at all what her life is like as a mermaid and how her world works. You get like little blips here and there just from what she says once she's on land with legs and stuff like that. But in general, like no idea of like the makeup of her society and why mermaids come to shore to find love rather than just loving on another mermaid. Yeah, no, there's none of that. Almost all of Legend of the Blue Sea is the mermaid on land with legs chasing after Lehman Ho, which I get it. I get it. But yeah, there's no world building for the mermaid. Yeah, like, so when she finds out he's an alien... She's basically just like, okay, but do you like me? Yeah. <laughs> like, <that> was- <laughs> she's like, okay, enough about that alien stuff. Do you like me? And then she does kind of mention, and I, I feel like this was meant to be romantic because she does kind of mention, like, she's like, I don't actually, like, I don't care if you're an alien. Like, I like you for you. I like you. Which is kind for- of ripping off coffee prints. Let's be real. It is. It <laughs> oh, is. okay. Well, and so, I mean, I liked that to an extent. Like, I think that's okay. That's great. But I still cannot believe that then she's she's not like no questions questions like I (laughs) he literally has lived on another planet and has been on Earth for over 400 years. Like, do you not even want to know if he's ever going to die? Like, he's going to outlive you, obviously, like. How are there no questions? Like, it drives like, me bananas. It, yeah. And also, I would just have questions about what it was like to live 400 years on Earth. I mean, just she was just like, do you like me? Like, I couldn't believe that that was like, I mean, I know she's kind of a little bit of a selfish character. So it did fit her. But I, I, I don't know. So which alien power would you most like to have as depicted on the show? So I don't really like to go anywhere anyway. So like F to teleporting, but I would really want the ability to make coffee without getting up. So whatever that power of his is called, where he can manipulate objects and like bring his cup to his hand. I want that. Telekinesis. Is that what it is? Yes. Okay. Then I want telekinesis. That's that's when you control things with your mind. Okay. That's what I want. I'll take the teleporting then because I hate flying on airplanes. 
Much anxiety. So let me teleport and just go where I want without having to deal with TSA or my fear of heights. Damn it. And I would go with stopping time because I think it would be convenient and I would definitely not not rob banks. <laughs> <laughs> you, you would definitely not not rob banks? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you're going to rob some banks. So you're going to rob banks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the children's novel, The Miraculous Journey of Edward Tulane by Kate DiCamillo is a children's book from which Domin June repeatedly quotes throughout the series. And after this drama came out, it went to the top of the bestseller lists in major Korean bookshops. So librarian teacher Amy, thoughts on this book and how it relates to the drama? First of all, I love that the author got like book sales from this. Like I wonder, like, you know, does her foreign rights agent like let her know, hey, like this Korean drama featured your book and now you sold all these books in Korea. Like who knows? But I think that's really cool. For those of you in America, if you don't know of Kate DiCamillo, she is a really big children's book writer. Her book, Flora and Ulysses, is a recent movie on uh, Disney Plus, I think, where Flora and Ulysses oh, okay, showed yeah. up. Yep. Yeah, so Flora and Ulysses is one of her books. She's got some really, really big kids' books. Okay, so Library and Alert. Here we go. There are so many great parallels between Edward's journey and Domin June's. Okay, so while Domin June lives many lifetimes in the same general place, South Korea, from the Joseon dynasty until present day, Edward, a China rabbit, like meaning made of China, it's he's described as a China rabbit, so like China porcelain. I'm not, you know... Calling him <laughs> racial calling him a chi- profiling. Yeah, not racial rabbit. profiling the rabbit here. So Edward is this rabbit made of China who starts his existence with a little girl named Abilene in the 1930s. And he's very spoiled by Abilene and he gets dressed in all these wonderful outfits and he loves his life with Abilene. But he's eventually lost on a boat when she takes him on a trip. And when he's lost, he ends up getting passed around and kind of living several lifetimes in possession of different owners who treat him in all different sorts of ways, some good, some not so good. Very much like Domin June was treated differently by the humans that he met along the way, depending on how they reacted to who slash what he really was when, you know, when he was open enough to trust people, which, of course, he got less and less willing to do so as the years went on. And then many years later, a broken and repaired Edward is now in a shop again, waiting to be purchased and just kind of sitting there, I think for years. And finally, he's purchased by an adult Abilene who is now grown with a child of her own and purchases the rabbit for her own child. And so it's this sort of cyclical journey of Edward starting out happy and loved and thinking, you know, his life is great. And then going on this great journey of several lifetimes until he finds sort of home again. So both Domin June and Edward have to deal with being parted from those that they know and love. Both have to travel a great distance, both physically and emotionally, to finally make it to the one person who truly holds their heart. And for Edward, it is Abilene. And for Domin June, he spends much of his lifetime searching for the young princess whose life he saved and lost hundreds of years ago until he finally meets Song Yi, the person he learns to love in the here and now. Whether she is or is not the reincarnated princess, he finally is able to, you know, sort of separate that and be like, I love you now. And I don't love you just because I think you're her. So just great themes of love and loss and self-discovery in both. And I think it's a lovely parallel. And I love this so much. The book nerd in me, the librarian in me just adored this part of the drama. So finally, why does Domenju shower with a towel on? Yeah, I just, I don't know, man. I mean... Watching that scene, I just like I had to laugh because it's just like, whose idea was that? Like they could have just shot him from you know the waist up or whatever. 
I don't know, man. I do have to say, like, thanks at least for giving us a shower scene. Like, you know, at least he wasn't wearing a shirt, too. (laughs) (laughs) So when I first, I think I'm the first one who watched this drama. And when I first started it, I remembered mentioning on the pod, I was like, so there's a shower scene in the very beginning and he's wearing a towel. And so my question, going back to all of the other alien questions, like, is this how aliens shower on your fiery burning star of a planet? (laughs) Like, is this just the norm for you there? Like, we have so many questions about your planet. Maybe this is one of those things that if there was some world building, we would understand. But there wasn't. So we don't. And I was just left with the question of what is going on with your alien D that you need to drape your manhood (laughs) in wet cotton? (laughs) Alien D. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Yeah. All right. Well, it's time for our favorite segment of the week. And it's when one member shares a favorite K-pop song or K-skincare rack or K-merch. And this week we've got Megan with a K-pop rack. So I really enjoy the girl group Itzy. They're really a lot of fun. I think their dance moves can be a lot harder than some of the other girl groups. And so they recently just had a comeback as in like a few days ago with the song Mafia in the morning. And I really enjoy kind of how aggressive it is, especially for a girl group. They feel really powerful when they sing it. And yeah, I really like it. So if you want to check out Mafia in the morning by Itzy, I recommend it. And while we're giving a fave, let's give another shameless plug for our new Afternoon of Delight podcast merch on redbubble.com. Go to the website and search Afternoon a Pod and subscribe to our store. I definitely need a sticker, a shirt, and a mug ASAP. So I wanted to do a fun fact. There's lots of fun facts with this drama because it was so popular and so beloved. So all sorts of like strange things happened in like fandom spaces as a result of that. So one is there's a quarry in Songdo Mountain in Incheon where this is the spot where Do Minju stopped the heroine's car from rolling into the abyss. You know, and he kind of like teleported and comes down, like thumps the front of the car while like the baddies are trying to like send her to her death. And it's been developed into a tourist destination. And specifically, it's popular primarily, apparently with Chinese visitors who pump billions of won into the local economy to visit the location. And in fact, these visitors also have like gathered and held an unprecedented chicken and beer or chimac party that was recorded in the Guinness Book of Records in 2016 as I don't know what, like the largest chicken and beer party ever. <laughs> so more than 4,500 Chinese tourists sat around 750 tables and drank 4,500 cans of beer while enjoying 1,500 servings of fried chicken, all triggered by the words of Chan Sung Yi's chicken and beer are great on a snowy day. And we do touch on a bit of this phenomenon too in an earlier podcast entitled Where's the Beef? If you want to go check it out and we talk more about how this drama basically single-handedly saved the Chinese chicken industry after the H1N1 bird flu epidemic. So this was a comeback role for actress Jeon Ji-hun. She was a standout who brought her character Chan Song-yi to life as the emotional, outrageous, egotistical, and so shallow, yet so relatable, lovable actress. So what is a scene where Jeon Ji-hun really shown as Chan Song-yi to you? So my very favorite scene is a comedy scene, and it's Song-yi stuck in the sleeping bag, wriggling all over the floor. Her physical comedy just absolutely blows me out of the water. I was introduced to her in Legend of the Blue Sea. So I saw Legend of the Blue Sea first, where she was the mermaid. And the first thing I noticed was that she was both drop-dead gorgeous 
and hilarious on a level that I had not yet seen in a K-drama. I can't say enough about her comic timing and physical use of her body to land a truly funny moment. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is probably my favorite too. The sleeping bag scene I was dying over. But another time where I thought she like really just used her body with like a lot of great physical humor was when she photobombed her friend's wedding like a total asshole. You know, she was like on like the pose off with like her frenemy and they both just kept striking all these like absurd poses. And it was like the bride's just standing there and they just keep getting like bigger and bigger because they want to like outdo each other. And also I just really love anytime she says sorry because the way she says it is so so good and it's basically hashtag not sorry <laughs> i like, loved her sorry so much yeah. was, sorry. sorry sorry i love it too <laughs> yeah she was amazing i mean i really fell in love with her again i agree with you guys in her physical comedy was i mean i had never i have not seen a k-drama actress who was that physical in a role yet maybe mr queen mr queen had good physical yes uh, yes you're right you're right I will agree with that as well. The man spreading was, and when she jumped in the bear lake, yeah, you're right. But I still think it's rare. So the character also had a lot of depth. The script did not let her down, in my opinion. You know, she was revealed layer by layer as the drama went on. And she also had, you know, a hundred times the dialogue and physical acting that Kim Soo Hyun did. So to me, she truly carried the drama. And there were so many scenes where I think she knocked it out of the park. I guess the first one I really loved is when she gets drunk and confesses obnoxiously to Do Min Joon about her feelings for him in this like flashback. So she wakes up the next day like you don't really know what happened. She wakes up the next day and like little things will bring back the memories of what she did. But it's like the flashbacks were hysterical. I mean, she's like bringing him her shoes and she's like wailing in front of his door. And it was just amazing. And then I also loved the nuance of how she played kind of when Song Yi had like fallen from grace. So this was when she was a little bit shunned by the entertainment industry, but she manages to land a role as a supporting actress, which is, you know, different because before she was pretty much always the leading actress. And so she arrives on set and it's a little awkward but she's really trying to maintain her dignity so i thought that john jihun played this like humbled yet determined song yi with just amazing depth did the ending for you feel satisfying or like a cop-out we've talked about like all the questions that we have already so I, I i will say yes i was happy with their happily ever after but like what i brought up before like she just lives the rest of her life with him blipping in and out of wormholes I have questions, but I loved Song Yi and Min Joon enough that I just kind of let it slide in the moment so that my heart could be happy because I wanted that happily ever after. But now that I've had time to digest, I just have questions. Yeah, I mean, the same. I mean, I really liked the ending, but I just felt like there was so much, there was a lot of open-ended stuff. I mean, I felt sort of like emotionally satisfied so when I turned it off, I was like, I had kind of the happy size. But then as time goes on, when like the endorphins have worn <laughs> off, I'm like, wait a minute, there's like a million questions I have about him. He's an alien. Yeah, I thought the ending was sweet. And I did like the like when Harry met Sally finale, like vibe where, you know, he'd been doing the recordings the whole time himself. And then at the end, they're there together in the video. But I mean, I would have liked it 10 out of 10 better if I knew a single freaking thing about his alien life. <laughs> but I do have a fun fact. And that is that my love from the star, another star, you who came from the stars has a different ending in China. So in the Chinese story, 
or in the Chinese version, the entire story ends up being a fictional tale that he writes for Xian Songyi because China censors materials with aliens and supernatural beings. And the show's ending had to be changed from the original in which Do returns to Earth from his star to reunite with her. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that's fascinating. I didn't know that China censored that. Man, aliens and supernaturals are the best. Thoughts on the ensemble. Who stood out to you? So I loved Park Hae Jin as Lee Hee Kyun. Amy talked about him in our second male lead SOS episode. And at the time, I didn't fully appreciate her HEA for him as I hadn't seen the drama yet. But now I totally get it. Totally get it. So at first, at the beginning of my love from another <clears throat> planet, I was a little <laughs> turned I was a little turned off of him because he came across a little to me as like a guy who couldn't take no for an answer. So it icked me out a little bit. But then he ended up just being this like amazing muffin of a friend. And I completely swooned when he sent the food truck to her set. This was, as I mentioned earlier, when she was kind of being shunned. And so she arrived on set as a supporting actress. And he knew the day was going to be rough for her. And then he also saved her life. Like, you know, the whole thing when she's on set and she has to leap off this wall and she's on cables and the cable breaks and, you know, she's about to plunge to her death and he rushes over and catches her. Yeah, she, he saved her life. And I know Domin June saved her life, but his risk was much less because he has, you know, like alien superpowers. But, you know, Lee Hee Kyun didn't have any of that stuff and he still did it. So I loved him. And I love that no matter what, he did what was right for the greater good. So he exposed his brother as the murderous bastard he was and tore apart his family in order to protect Song Yi and also to get justice for his brother's victims, including his ex-sister-in-law and his oldest brother. I mean, it wasn't just about Song Yi. It truly was, I want my brother to be stopped because there's going to be more victims. So I also really liked Song Yi's little brother, Cheon Yun Jae, played by On Jae Hyun. He was just this perfect, sulky teenage boy. But then he was adorable when he got super excited over Dome and Jude's telescopes. Thanks, Megan. Take the whole cast. I know, I know. <laughs> but how, how can you not, right? Because it's a great ensemble. So uh -huh. I totally I totally agree with you. I Yeah, I did a whole segment on Lee Hee Kyung. I loved him with all my heart and really think he deserves his own happily ever after with his own alien. Also agree that You Say Me was the worst. So props to you and Na for nailing that role because she did it so well. And also I loved, loved, loved Song Yi's brother. He was a science nerd though and still asked barely anything <laughs> about Domin June's planet. Good point. Good point. He was just happy to do the ET finger with him. That was a cute scene, though. It was. It, oh, it super was. I loved it so yeah. much. So I'm not complaining about that. Domin June was, just... was so boomer about it, too. He's like, oh, I don't do this. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, it was super cute, though. So I'll add to the list Kim Cheng Wan as Jang Young Muk, Domin Jun's lawyer slash surrogate father. They have such a great rapport together, which now makes It's Okay Not to Be Okay even more special to me since I saw that one first, seeing as how they got to reprise that relationship in that drama. See, I liked him, his character in this role to a point, but then I thought he just seemed real clingy. <laughs> so he kind of bugged me a little bit by the end. I was like, let your But he was like, he was like the caretakers in Goblin. You know what I mean? Like that he basically lived to, like, first of all, Domin June like saved his life. You know, when he yeah. was younger. And then he basically lived his life kind of in service to him. He did. I just felt like, look, your boy is finally getting that, like, sweet, sweet lips on something. And, like, stop cock-blocking everything. He was a <laughs> cock-blocker. Absolutely. But those sweet, sweet lips. But those sweet, sweet lips. 
like made him almost die when they touched Song <laughs> Yi's sweet, sweet lips. So, I know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I just... am defending. <laughs> I am defending Kim Chang Wan, and that's all there is to it. Megan agrees. Cock blocker. <laughs> um, and look, I'm not going to add anything else that's not been said here, except I will say, did anyone catch the little Bay Susie cameo when she played the infatuated student? I thought I that was sure fun. did. Yeah, that was that was super cute. So, yeah, I actually did not know that was her until I was looking up the name of the younger brother just like yesterday or whatever, just to talk about him on the show. And I saw in the cast was Bay Susie. And I was like, really? I didn't even know. You want to know why I know who she is? What? Because I watched her fall in love with Kim Woo Bin. <laughs> Thank you. I'm like, I can't. Uncontrollably I can't fond. <laughs> watched her fall in love with Kim Woo Bin and uncontrollably fond, and then watched him die. Uh, so that's how, I, that's how I know Susie. <laughs> I didn't know she was the heroine there. She is. Thoughts on the drama's villain? Yeah, so this this was my least favorite part of the drama. Every time Lee Jae-kyung came on the screen, the drama played this orchestral screech. And I did, I liked it at first. I did. But then since it happened every single time, it almost became like a parody to me by the end. You know what I mean? It almost became like an SNL skit that you like knew he was coming on the screen when it was like... <laughs> <laughs> Like I said, I liked it at the beginning. I truly did. It was just a little, it was just a little much. But then K-dramas are known for kind of like overdoing the exact same music over and over again. So he, and he also was like a very one note villain with a totally murky why, where if you listen to our favorite villains episode, you'd understand why like villains need a why, why they're doing what they're doing. So he just wanted to be CEO, but that wasn't really a good enough reason for me to understand why he poisoned his own brother and poisoning is typically a woman's murder weapon of choice it's incredibly personal and cruel and it's a terrible way to die like like i understand he poisoned them in a way that like paralyzed them but that's still really terrible <laughs> like they knew what was happening to them as they were like paralyzed and then whatever he decided yeah, to he do. would give his evil he, death so he gave his he gave his villain speech because when, whenever he poisoned someone he gave the villain speech and told them exactly what was happening to them yeah, was, as they laid there paralyzed yeah it was terrible and i'm like it's his own brother like and that's another thing too like the brother never did anything to him at least not anything that they showed in the drama he was just older he was just older and yeah, seemed like a older. good guy, you know? And, I, and we're not talking about Lee Hee Kyung. There was a third brother right. who was killed when they were teens because he wanted to be CEO. Right. Yeah. yeah. Lee Hee Kyung is the youngest brother. And then it was Lee Jae Kyung was the middle brother. And then yeah. he killed. But the Lee Jae Kyung convinced Lee Hyung Kyung to go bring a little like tray of food with a drink like seriously like made his made his little brother murder their oldest brother yeah. basically like i just i just again i guess the the whole act that he like essentially poisoned people was like a really interesting choice for me because again it's like maybe this is like my true crime murderino persona coming through but again poisoning is typically like a woman's murder weapon of choice so it's just really weird and I don't know. He just had shifty eyes, and I just didn't like him. <laughs> I didn't like him. And like he was a good-looking guy. He was nice to look at, but it was so, like you said, so one note that like really all that he was missing was like the evil waxed mustache that he could twirl around his finger. Yeah, and a hair, he needed a hairless cat and some sharks. Yeah, for like one million dollars or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was just I don't know, man. I th that was. I mean, it was fine again, because, uh, but it just, it, that was my least favorite part of the drama. 
Yeah, I like a good murder subplot. Like that's what I'm realizing. I like a good murder subplot, but this was not a good murder subplot. This was kind of a silly murder subplot. Yeah. And I mean, we're talking about the screeching bad guy music, but don't forget the ring twist because, you know, the minute he twisted that ring, somebody was getting poisoned. (laughs) (laughs) And I also feel like some of the intensity was lost with him because of the pacing of his arc and the fact that, let's be real, he like doesn't have an arc. Like we could have, I mean, it would have been fantastic and really cost the show nothing to give some backstory as to like, you know, I mean, not to like justify it, but you've got to remember, like we talked about in our villains episode you know good villains are the heroes of their own story so maybe we had seen like you know his he had daddy issues or you know like there has to be reasons built into like why yeah he's gonna like murder his brother and do everything he can to stay on top like who hurt you and i want to see why they hurt you even if it's not a good reason to kill everyone like i want to know that you think you've got a good reason yeah right Um, middle middle child syndrome that was it yeah but like put that down like Yeah, they could have cut out a few of the ring twists to just give us some, like, context. (laughs) And I also felt like we realized so quickly that he's, like, one bad killing dude, but nobody else does in the show. So it takes away this urgency because there's really no whodunit. We're just as, like, viewers twiddling our thumbs while we're waiting for the main characters to, like, noodle out, like, what we watching the show already know. So for me, I really actually liked that he killed his young because it was horrible and brutal and it did kind of take me by surprise and shock me at a time when I was like really over this guy. So it was kind of like a good new depth of evil, even though I really, yeah, I do think it was the weakest part of the drama. And also like the whole part of keeping his wife locked up in the mental asylum. Like I have a problematic love for Mr. Rochester and Jane Eyre who kept his wife locked in the attic. But that felt very much less believable to me in like the 2010s that he's like conspired with like a modern day like mental hospital to keep an incredibly sane woman locked up and like why didn't she get the murder and like, that why, no- why, didn't, why didn't she get some poison yeah why didn't she yeah and there was no real good reason for that why didn't she get the poison <laughs> he just locked her up like she's left to be the deus ex machina to come yes. in and be like he's a murderer yeah. like that was that exactly was yeah so were the mini epilogues at the end of the episodes effective for you? Why or why not? Yeah, I really like them. And they sort of felt like deleted scenes. I mean, they weren't because they did give like new information usually. But it was still cool to think of a scene like during, you know, the meat of the drama to think of a scene a certain way only to be shown that wasn't the full story at the end. And a lot of the mini epilogues kind of gave me like happy size, like they made me really happy. So just in the way I felt like the mini epilogues almost like slowed a scene down and gave us a little bit more information. So I really enjoyed them. We've made comparisons to When Harry Met Sally, I think a couple times in here. And that's one of my favorite movies ever, my favorite romances. And I love their like little interstitials of the couples, you know, breaking the fourth wall and talking to the audience and stuff like that. And so I loved that because it felt very When Harry Met Sally to me. And it gave us deeper insight into some of the scenes, which I really loved, especially the scene where Doman June breaks up with Song Yi on the frozen lake. And when you get to see that he actually stopped time so that he could kiss her. Oh my gosh, my heart in that scene. Like I just, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I didn't mind these little epilogues. They were fun, but they kind of ended up not having any point. Like, again, to just like beat this horse who is not Maximus from King the Eternal Monarch (laughs) dead. Like, were these videos he was making as like some sort of vlog for his home planet? Like, they kind of felt like they were some sort of a diary. But who knows? Because this whole movie was 
look, he's an alien, but who cares? <laughs> right. It's funny that you bring that up. Like, I never once thought, like, why is he doing this? I was just like, oh, these are cute. I like them. Same thing with, like, I never cared about the planet being called a star. Like, it's not until you both bring that up that I'm like, oh, yeah, that is something. Like, why the heck was he doing these? Or was it just a device for us, the audience, to get the extra depth into those scenes? Any last thoughts on my love from a star, my love from another star, you who came from the stars, whatever we want to call it? (laughs) Yeah, I guess I'm going to kind of summarize what I've said throughout this episode. But so I don't necessarily need a sci-fi romance, but I wanted some alien backstory, like even one flashback scene from his home planet would have been totally badass. And also something to show us why he wants to go back other than that he's losing his powers. Like he never even really was like, I miss the people. I miss... (laughs) the food i miss my home <laughs> i miss no, I, the plant that birthed me yeah i miss the, <laughs> i miss the, i named her you know i mean i want i i wanted like some reason that he wanted to go back home so bad do you know what i'm saying because to a degree towards the end i was kind of like yeah why don't you stay like, wasn't he dying i thought he was dying yeah he said that he would die there he didn't give any reason for it though and like how did he know well yeah how did he know that after 400 years all of a sudden if i stay past through three months yeah i'm a goner yeah <laughs> right. i get you that's why he kept saying i'm gonna die and i'm like but are you really <laughs> like I, just kept, I kept like literally i would say that out loud and i was watching it i'm like but how do you know like because 400 years and now in 90 days the clock is ticking yeah like, it just I was, and why couldn't they have just put that i mean that's the thing is like this is me wagging the figure at the writing which like we know that the writer is better than this and like the writing team could have done better than this and like why like why not just give a little context like i kind of feel like you're just like don't give us a c plus when you're aiming for an a right right so i mean i would say john ji hyun hit it out of the park i loved her i thought she was fantastic i now want to watch legends of the blue sea now that i know she's in it the script didn't do kim si hyun justice other than let him purse his pillow lips, take a shot of soju. So as we know from It's Okay Not To Be Okay, he can act his ass off. And so I do think he did an amazing job with what was given. So I just wanted more. Yeah, I mean, I ended up adoring it at the end. Like you said, Megan, it was like so to start, but then stuck the landing. And I totally felt the same way. I wanted more for my second male lead, Lee Hee Kyung, at the end. And I do have some questions that will never be answered. But on the whole, I can see why this drama is considered a classic. And I'm happy that I had the experience of watching it, even if I'm, you know, left with a lot of unanswered questions. Yeah, I think for me, I wanted loads more. I ultimately gave it a four out of five because it does have so much of what I want in a K-drama in terms of really great chemistry, awesome humor. I thought good characterization, which is interesting because I think there's a difference between characterization, obviously, and world building. So I thought that they really created these great nuanced characters. They just forgot to put them in like a world. (laughs) And I thought that the one note villain for me made it very hard to go all in with like that five out of five, like forever desert island K-drama keeper. Totally agree. I gave it a four also. Okay. Well, that was a fun journey with you all. And now I just wanted to highlight, I think that, you know, we are often asking listeners to hop on to Apple Podcast. So, okay. So we often ask people to go and review the pod and tell us something that you enjoy or whatever and give us a rating because we're, you know, trying to get more listeners and, you know, keep doing this. And so we did have a review that came in this week. We read everything we get and somebody had written some really nice things about what we got right but something that they said that they do not love is that they feel like our show often devolves away from the k-dramas into book recommendations 
And this reviewer also said, I would love you to put this in the show notes, but I don't need it in a podcast about K-dramas. It ends up taking up about one third of each episode, and it's just not my favorite. So we are taking that feedback on board. We do think that we should do book recs because it's kind of our thing and we're authors and we like it. But we have decided to pare our book rec down to just one for this show and see what you all think. And one more quick thing that I want to add to that is we are looking at K-dramas through a writer's lens. Like that's our angle, right? We're looking at K-dramas through a writer's lens. And when we do put the book recs on, and I'm totally on board with pairing it down to one, I get it. And I'm totally here for the feedback. But I do want to point out that the book recs that we are throwing out to you all are ones that we think you will like because you liked the drama that we just talked about. So we are always trying to relate it to the drama that we're watching. And yeah, that's it. So here's our one book rec. And it only makes sense that Megan do the book rec (laughs) or an alien K-drama drama. Yeah, I do want to say like, thank you very much for the feedback, though, because we do want to hear if we Absolutely. are doing something that isn't what you want. So we did really appreciate that. So I think, yeah, we're going to pare it down and just rotate. So I'm just going to say again, I write alien romance. If you want to check out my first series, it's called the Drixonian Warrior series by Ella Maven. Just search Ella Maven on Amazon. But I actually want to mention a different series because I think it applies more to my love from another star. So this series is called Aliens Among Us, and it's by Tiffany Roberts. So I think the series title is really apt. So basically, it's aliens that are on Earth. So I mean, the aliens aren't completely human, like Dome and June. They definitely have some alien characteristics, like a tail and things like that. But it's humorous. It's aliens adapting to Earth life. And so I think that if you like my love from another star then you might like this series as well. So again, it's called The Aliens Among Us series. I think there's three books in the series right now, and it's by Tiffany Roberts. Before I knew, you know, whether or not we were going to pare down to one book, I was like, oh my gosh, I hope that we don't have to all come up with an alien romance <laughs> for today. Anyway, because I would have given you be, one. I would be, I'd be shit out of luck. So no, I do also want to thank anybody who responds to us and gives us a rating and gives us you know, thoughts on what you loved and thoughts on what didn't work for you because we are here for you, our listeners, and we do want to give you what you want to listen to. And you can always email us. I'm sure that, well, actually, I'm sure you don't know because why would you? But folks do email us and give us feedback and we do always respond and we do try to take that on board. All right. So what is everybody currently watching? So I actually have made very little, pro- well, I've made progress, but I haven't changed anything. I'm still watching Miss Yang, I think is how you pronounce it. I'm in the final stretch. I've got, I think, three episodes left. But yeah, it's been a busy, you know, week and a half. And so I've been kind of at like a one episode a night pace, which has been good for a drama that's kind of a bit quieter. But I'm telling you, like the show is like wrecking me. I think it's going to go in. If, if it sticks the landing, it's going in my top five because there's no romance. There's feelings. But I felt like I don't know what to say. It's like slow paced. I feel like it was less slow paced than run on to some degree. But it's like weaving itself in together now. And you're watching these like characters make these like big character arc leaps. And oh my God, it's crushed me. I just had like tears the last two nights just like pouring down my cheeks watching it. And it's not sad. It's just heartwarming. And I think that there's a lot of things it's trying to talk about in terms of like capitalism and work culture, but also people trying to like retain their humanity in inhumane systems. And then there's a lot of like intersection between people starting to like I thought 
look, okay, now I'm going a little bit too long, but I'm going to try to wrap it up fast. But there's a character in it who's an actor I love. And um, Amy, I know you're going to talk about him in a second, which is Kong Han Newell. He's like one of my favorite. I just love him. So he's a very uptight, very privileged, kind of just like annoyingly, you know, almost like, you know, what you would see as like an Ivy League type personality. And he has never been very like empathetic or kind to like our main hero played by Siwan from Run On, who is much more like working class and has had lots and lots and lots of hard knocks in life. And I felt like two episodes ago, he just had this like full realization of like how much his privilege and his privileged upbringing has like given him every single advantage. And I don't know, I mean, like, maybe that's part of like the conversation that's happening, like, you know, in student life when I'm at the university or like kind of like more timely in the news. But I felt like it was just this really authentic, like realization of like somebody who's been kind of given everything and become a real judgy bitch as a result of it, really like checking themselves and realizing how much socioeconomic status really has on like who can like, you know, win at the game of life and who cannot. So I don't know. I've just found it incredibly powerful. And yeah, speaking of Kang Hanul, in our last pod, I think I had just started When the Camellia Blooms. And tonight I considered just blowing off the podcast to keep watching. That's, <laughs> that's how much I'm loving it. Leah watched this one first and Leah was out of her mind in love with this. And, you know, you really can't understand how a person feels about a drama until you've watched it too and have that same reaction. And Look, we were introduced to Kang Hanul, Leah and I, when we watched Heirs or Inheritors, whatever you want to call it. And in that drama, he plays a high school student who is like the coolest kid to ever cool. And he's a side character, so we don't get a ton of him. But what we do get of him, he is just, he's the shit. He's pretty cool. And he's hot. And, you know, not going to lie, he's a good looking dude. He is just, I mean, we use the word goober a lot, but he, he wins at goober. And his, in the best possible way. His mom like, in the drama calls him a big toe. Yeah, she refers to him as a big toe. She's like, you don't know how to dress. Like, you've got this goofy haircut, but someone's going to love you. And I'm like, yeah, they're going to love him because he's the most lovable human to ever human. And it's a fantastic ensemble cast. Like, I love every single storyline going on in this. And there is a murder subplot. That is done very, very well. There is no dastardly twisting of a ring on anybody's finger, no twisting of a mustache, no petting of a hairless cat. It's just so far, it's very well done. I'm on episode 13. It goes till 20. And I just, I don't want to stop. And if I didn't have to sleep, I would finish it tonight. But I do have to sleep. So I'll finish it this weekend. And, and I this love is, it. the writer also wrote Fight for My Way, which I know Megan has really enjoyed and talked about in the show and I think is way up high on my list as a result. Yeah, Fight for My Way is great. And I think we'll do a deep dive on that sometimes. I think it's on our list. So I'm going to start Vincenzo like ASAP. When I first heard about Vincenzo, I wanted to watch it. Like that's almost everything about it is kind of up my alley. And right now I'm seeing it all over social media and I'm terrified I'm going to get spoiled. So at this point, I'm like, you know what? I need to watch it like now before someone spoils it for me and I get pissy about it. So I think I'm going to start it and I'll probably end up binging it in between packing my house. So yeah, I think that's what I'm watching next. As far as our next episode, let bum, me tell bum, you, bum. we are doing I'm Not a Robot. And I cannot wait. I'm going to lose my shit. This drama is absolutely, it's in my top three with Chloe and Healer. It's Chloe, Healer, and I'm Not a Robot because this drama is the bomb. And Amy and Leah agree. They loved it we too. Do. And we cannot wait to talk about it. And I would say we're going to get super nerdy romance author about it because there are so many reasons that this romance worked. 
when it probably shouldn't have worked, but the writers made really smart choices. It's so swoony. The hero is just fucking adorable. <laughs> and I just and the pace, the pacing of it is fantastic. Fantastic. Like, and just from a, from a writer's perspective, uh, it is it's so well done. So I can't wait to talk about it. There's so much to love. And yeah, that's next week. So stay tuned because we're going to be gushing. That sounded terrible. Gushing all over. Like the aliens gush on the plant to fertilize. We're going to gush in a way that would make an alien allergic. And next week I will come. (laughs) Next week I will describe more about these alien uh, pods. I got to reread the books. I might even just message the author and be like, tell me how this works again. Yeah. Tell me how how they pollinate. How do they pollinate their flower? Right. (laughs) On that note, thanks for listening, everybody. (laughs) Anya. Anya. Kamsamnida. Thank you for listening to Afternoona Delight. Make sure to subscribe for more great K-Romance conversation. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Afternoona Delight Podcast for more information on our podcast, behind-the-scenes photos, and, of course, pics of our favorite opas and unis. Annyeong! Annyeong!